Well, I'm here to hawk something. Um, I guess that's the word. Um, Hey, guys, uh, I've been wanting this for years, but um, we now uh, have a line of clothing. Uh, uh, Sweatshirts. uh, uh, (laughs) um, But, guys, it's... We don't make a dime, but um, uh, I think you maybe have read it. You buy one of these and a portion goes into um, uh, a ministry that we support. You can buy them online. If you already have, there's, there's, there's T-shirts, long sleeve, there's quarter zips, and there's sweatshirts. So I just, <laughs> I've wanted those for years. But anyway, we have them now, and if you want one, you can go online. And, and if you've already bought one, uh, if you find Brady, he's got yours, and you can get it today. And I, and I do want to reiterate uh, the um, invitation to uh, any of you who are single, 22 to 35-ish. Um, next Tuesday night, a week from Tuesday night, we'll uh, meet in the um, Grace Van Memphis facility, which is... Over by Target on Spotswood, it's, uh, if you've ever eaten at the Acre Restaurant, you could probably uh, throw a baseball from this, at least I could, <laughs> uh, <laughs> from this property to Acre Restaurant. So uh, uh, it's down where we feel like uh, it'll make it more appealing to come. And then the Bible study starts on the 9th of January. Now let me read you the text. It's out of uh, Hebrews 13, a very Christmassy text. I'm just kidding. But we'll do Christmassy text next week. But I want to begin reading at verse 7, um, and I'll conclude at verse 21. So you follow in your copies of God's Word as I read this portion of His Word. It's, it reads like this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. 
but the word of our God. This word, this endures forever. Guys, we bid a, a, a fond farewell to an old friend this morning, um, the book of Hebrews. I have preached from it uh, a, right at 50 sermons from the book of Hebrews. And today will be the final uh, sermon from the book of Hebrews, and I know so many of you are very glad about that. Um, but I told you last week that this last chapter, chapter 13, is, um, is, is more of a... Um, uh, it's, a, it's a summons to duty, the whole chapter. It is a... Um, it is a... Uh, oh, a... Um, plea on his part. It is a... Uh, it is marching orders, if you will, but it's a... It's a plea from the author to, uh, to a lifestyle of personal, practical holiness. That's what the chapter is. We looked last week at some specifics. You may recall there were four specifics that he mentions in the first six verses. But this latter portion of the book is more of a generalized call to holy living, like you find in verse 16 when he says, do not neglect to do good. Do you see that's a... He's, 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 he's making a general call as opposed to uh, mentioning specifics. But underneath um, all of these instructions, all of these exhortations, are some assumptions, some, um, some principles um, that we need to understand that form kind of a, a solid footing underneath us. Kind of some rock-solid stuff underneath us that should help us in this pursuit of the holy life that he's calling us to. There are some principles that you've got to keep in mind as you try to construct a life like this, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Those are that's almost a, a definition of holiness. The pursuit of personal, practical holiness. But underneath it, are some, some bed, there's some bedrock. Things on which we can stand as we, as we make that pursuit. Okay? Now that's what I want you to see this morning. Not so much about the general calls to practical holiness. But I want to I show you some, some assumptions, some principles that you can hold on to as you pursue a holy life. It's stuff that's, that forms some solid footing underneath us. Okay. Um, now, there's three of them I want you to see, and the first one is pretty obvious. I, I, I'll say it's the clearest. It's the one in verse 8. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> Guys, you need to know that. You need to know that underneath you, in a pursuit of holy living, there is a Savior that is unchanging. Um, the only changeable 
component of this formula is me, not him. All those words like fickle and and, uh, variable and fluctuate, none of that applies to him. I um, he, he never does a half of a work. He um, there's no such thing as takebacks. The Savior on which we are building a life is a Savior that um, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means. Very frankly, it means a lot. Let, let me show you. Um, first of all, it means that my future is certain. That I am not in the hands of some fickle, vacillating, capricious God. That come what may, I am safe even though sometimes I don't feel that safe. Oh, my marital status might change, and my professional career path might change, but my Savior does not. And so while I am pouring my heart out, I am pouring my heart out into the ears of a Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and And he keeps hold of me and my future. Let me tell you something else it means, ladies and gentlemen. And this seems, and I don't get it why it is, but it seems to be hotly debated among Christians. What it means is eternal security. That is, if you belong to Jesus Christ at this moment, do you? If you belong to Jesus Christ at this moment, you're going to belong to him tomorrow. And you're going to belong to him on into eternity because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the reason that I am eternally secure is not because I hold on to him so tightly, but because the one who got hold of me is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Gang, do you see what I mean when I say it? It it forms a bedrock underneath us, kind of some solid footing. Okay, now that I've got that straight, now let me get on with this pursuit of a holy life. Let me tell you something else it means, because it speaks, I think, very directly into this culture of ours. Um, for this reason. Oh, how fickle are men. Are they not? You know, I could show you a a passage in, um, in Acts 17 where one day Paul is on one of his missionary journeys. He's, uh, and I forget the city in which he, but when he's in a city and and they fall down in worshiping him as God. And he said, oh, no, 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 that. don't do that, stop that. The next day, they're stoning him. They worship me as God today, and they stone me the next day. This, this 
fickleness on the part of uh, men, um, they even tell me that truth is subject to fashion. That is, um, truth is no longer a solid brick wall with um, built out of you know stones that are stand forever. No, 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 no. Truth today is is more like a trampoline. You know, it's spongy. Not if this Jesus of ours is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Guys, um, Jesus once said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Remember that? He said that yesterday. But it is still true today, and it will be true forever. Guys, if Christian doctrine um, were always shifting, as I'm being told by this culture, how would we know how to bank on anything? How would we know what decisions to make? On what would we build a Christian life? Sinking sand? No, there's a statement in um, Psalm 11. Psalm 11 verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Yeah! If the foundations are destroyed, what on earth are we supposed to do? Newsflash, the foundations will not be destroyed. You know, our our 21st century elites tell us that, that Paul and his cronies were just a bunch of old fogies, you know, just a bunch of anachronisms, but we moderns, we've got it all figured out today. Um, Guys, those of you who think like that, Don't you understand that 50 years from now, you're going to be the ones with all of your newfangled ideas that will appear ludicrous to that generation? Um, You'll be the ones from a day gone by. Um, Folks, um, C.S. Lewis has a term for that. He calls it chronological snobbery. That is, everything from the past is bad. Hey, have you seen the, uh, the television commercial? And I don't even know who's, uh, who's promoting it, but there's a television commercial about this girl riding her bicycle. She's got a little helmet on, and she lays down in her backyard, and her next-door neighbor says, uh, Hey, um, uh, what you doing on your computer? And she says, What's a computer? It's already started. You're about to be relegated to the garbage heap of old fogey because you know those computers, they'll be passe 50 years from now. Gang, the suggestion 
that there are theological vagaries. Not a chance. Truth is the same because the truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can build your life on that. There's something underneath you that doesn't shift around on you. You know, um, the LGBTQ community, did I leave a letter out? They keep adding letters. The LGBTQ community tells me that I need to get on the right side of history. I am. Truth is not fashionable, nor is it changeable. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now go build your life on that. Guys, what makes the Christian's path and Christian truth so solid is because it is rooted in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see that? That's what I mean by there's assumptions, there's principles woven into the fabric of this text that is trying to provide something underneath you on which you can stand firm. And here's the first one. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's great news for us, folks. It's horrible news for the non-Christian, but it's great news for us. We have a truth that is not going to shift around on you. It's not spongy. It's the same. Now, here's here's the second assumption that I think you find in the text that that I think gives you, um, that you got to keep in mind as you pursue a life of holiness. Here's here's the second thing that you've got to remember, that we are strengthened by grace. Did you see that in verse 9? Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Guys, apparently, um, when the author wrote this, there was some strange teaching, that's the word he uses, strange teachings that were being taught um, about the strengthening qualities of eating certain foods. You know, certain foods, certain sacrifices that came from certain altars. And so this author points out um, that the soul grows um, through heavy doses of grace, not food. And then in quite a unique way, he describes what he means by grace. Now, i got to confess, ladies and gentlemen, verses 10 through 13, since I'm not a first century converted Jew, 
Um, This is a very odd argument, and it's hard to grasp, but I'm going to take a stab. Um, What he's doing is defining what he means by grace. You got that? And so in verse 10, he mentions an, an altar. But not the, I mean, not, not the one that, that you find in Judaism. In verse 11, he mentions blood, but not the blood that you get from those sacrificial animals in Judaism. In verse 11, he mentions sacrifices, but not those sacrifices that are made by the Levites. And then he mentions outside the camp. He mentions it three times. Now, here's what I think he's doing. He is speaking of the death and sufferings of Jesus Christ in a way that Jewish ears would understand. And he is comparing that with the Jewish Levitical sacrificial system. And then he adds this note, which is a stroke of genius, when he talks about outside the camp. Gang, in Judaism, do you know who lived outside the camp? Lepers <laughs> and other unclean folk outside the camp. Can't let you in here because you you're so defiled. You got to go out there. And so Jesus, bearing my sin, becomes the uncleanest of all. And so if I'm ever going to have him, I got to go outside the camp. Do you notice what he says in verse 13? Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. So if I'm going to ever have this Jesus, I got to go out there. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, who is it that goes out there where all the uncleanness is? People who understand their own uncleanness. You want to know where my people are? They're outside the camp. They're not on the, they're not the religiously elite. They're not insiders. No, no. They're the marginalized, the broken, the rejected, and, 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 they, and they know it. And so they go, they go to him outside the camp, identify with his sufferings. You know, with other unclean, leopard-like folk. And they're people who are so glad that there's a place for them to go at all. Guys, I'm telling you what he's doing is describing what he means in verse 9 by being strengthened by grace. Let 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 me paraphrase it. Go immerse yourself in grace in the beauties and charms of what Jesus Christ accomplished for you. Go go get you a plate full of, of the understanding of the extremes to which He went to save you. Oh, He went out there. And He went out there for what? To save unclean people. You know, like me. 
um, because the people who go out to him realize there's not a thing that they can do to clean themselves up. Do you know that? You knew, no, no, by the way, that that is the religion of the masses. That I'm trying to clean myself up by my little do-goodisms. Um, so the author says, put down that animal sacrifice, or in another term, put down all of that human merit, and go feast on Christ and Him crucified. Not at that altar that they have. Not those sacrifices that they have. Not that blood. I'm not talking about that stuff. That's what he's doing here. Go, go feast on grace and be strengthened by repeated enjoyments of grace. It's strange language. Yes, it is. To the point of being mystical. But it is intended for a Jewish audience. And he is saying... Get away from that stuff and go be strengthened by grace and the beauties thereof. I grow strong. Not by food, but by ingesting more and more portions of grace. That's an assumption, ladies and gentlemen. It's a principle underneath us that the way that we get to the place that we want to get to is that we go refresh ourselves in reminders about how our Savior went out there. Why did He go out there? Because He bore your uncleanness in mind. So go... Feast on that. And that's what strengthens the soul. So in the, in the midst of the progress that we're trying to make, the things that we have to do is review and rejoice and re-engage and re-ingest more portions of grace. Not law, grace. Now, here's the third one. The third assumption, the third principle that you got to keep in mind that forms kind of a, 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 some solid footing underneath us as we make this pursuit of holy living. It is that we have a signed, of, a, a signed treaty of peace. It's found in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Underneath us, ladies and gentlemen, all stored away safe and sound is a signed treaty of peace. Gang, that word covenant, which may be strange to you, but it, 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 it's dripping with peace. And this covenant was signed, sealed, by blood. That's what it says. Um, 
the great shepherd, uh, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the covenant. No, it doesn't say that. It says the blood of the eternal covenant. The covenant God made with his people is a covenant of peace that is eternal. Um, that covenant is secured by blood. Sheep can't make a covenant, but a shepherd can. And because he has, he has settled this war that used to be going on between me and God. The God that I feared who would one day condemn me has now become a God of peace. Um, how? Because of the blood of the shepherd. Peace between me and that God is eternal. And it is an objective reality between me and God because of what the shepherd did. Now, guys, here's where confusion sets in. That objective peace between me and God does indeed lead to a... um, to a subjective, internal peace. Yes. But that one can be interrupted, can it not? Uh, There's a lot of things that can interrupt that subjective, internal peace. You know, life can interrupt it, or, or even my own sin can interrupt it. You do know, don't you, brother and sister, that when you when we choose to sin, we are choosing to do something that is tampering with our own well-being. Um, guys, listen to me. It is so important that you get this straight. Here's why you got to get this straight. Every time a Christian has a moral failure, they lose their peace. And then they immediately draw, go to the conclusion that they must not be Christians. Gang, I'm sorry that there has been that moral failure on your part. I'm sorry. And there will be consequences. But one of those consequences is not that you lose your objective standing in peace with this God. Might you lose some kind of internal subjective peace? Oh, yeah. But ladies and gentlemen, underneath us is a covenant. No, no, not a covenant. 
an eternal covenant accomplished by the spilling of not the blood of a sheep, but the blood of a shepherd. So you have got to keep those two things straight. In the midst of my moral blowout, do I lose my peace? Yeah. Yeah. But not this one. Do I lose a subjective inner peace because I've chosen poorly? Yeah. But do I lose an objective, established covenant of peace between me and God? No. That's why you got to get that straight. Because I'm telling you, eventually, you're going to have your own moral blowout. And then you're going to call me. And you're going to say, oh, I I don't know that I'm a Christian. Well, guys, I'm not trying to encourage you to have a moral blowout because there are consequences to those things. And one of those things, one of the consequences is that the the subjective inner peace that is so enjoyable, uh, that may go. But not this other one. Not the one established by the God of peace through the shed blood of the shepherd. That one stays. Once I enter into a covenant of grace, that peace is established. Do you get that? Because there's way too much distress among God's people. The reason, ladies and gentlemen, that that peace is not forfeited is because it was established by that great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. I'll say this to you. The best way to lose that subjective one is to go choose and sin. Go right ahead. And you won't like it. You won't like it that there is this agony of your soul. But you've got to know this. It's got to be underneath you. In the midst of whatever it is that you're experiencing, there is between me and God a covenant of peace. No, 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 I said it wrong. There is between me and God a eternal covenant. Not temporary. Not one that comes and goes. An eternal covenant. Established. Purchased. Sealed. Ratified. Because the shepherd, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
spilled his blood on your behalf. <laughs> you got it? Gang, all three of those things. An unchanging Savior. Um, strengthening grace. And um, sign treaty of peace. Those things have got to be underneath you. As you try to heed these exhortations to um, equip you with every good thing that may, you may do His will, working in us that which is pl- well-pleasing in His sight. There's the life, ladies and gentlemen. There's the goal. There's what we're after. But underneath you is an unchanging Savior, the availability of grace that strengthens, and a signed treaty of peace. Now, let's get with it. And the book is over. I think that's just genius. In the book, he just told you about Christ for 12 chapters. He exhorts you specifically. Exhorts you, exhorts you generally. And then he reminds you of some things that you need to keep in mind as we proceed. You know, um, a little bit later on in the New Testament... Uh, Peter, right? There's a couple of books written by Peter who did not write Hebrews, but Peter um, in 2 Peter chapter 1 says that God has given to us everything necessary for life and godliness. You know that one? It's uh, 2 Peter 1 3, I believe. God has given to us everything that's needed for life and godliness. For this pursuit that we're on, everything that's necessary, He has granted. Now, at least three of those things that he has granted are an unchangeable Savior, strengthening grace, and a signed treaty of peace. That's underneath us, ladies and gentlemen, if you belong to this Savior. pursuit now is to live a life that brings him glory. Our Father, would you encourage and refresh your people by these reminders that that the Savior is not fickle, that truth is not spongy, that foods will not strengthen And that peace, objective peace, will never be lost. Would you give your people those reminders as we seek to live a life that brings you glory? Father, if you have led people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you you allow them to see that the, the ground underneath them is sinking sand? And it is going to be one heck of a life with everything so fluctuating. 
would you show them this Savior of ours who has gone outside the camp to uh, spill His blood so that the Father would sign an eternal covenant of peace over those who belong to the Savior. What a gospel we have to preach. Now, Father, um, remind us of all that you've made available to us so that we can get on with the business of living a holy life. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.